No, we changed the deadline another week. Yeah, no, we changed that back. So, good morning, everyone. Welcome to week 11, a catch-up week, and a week where you can earn extra credit by shooting video with flip cameras that we've checked out from the department. So, hopefully today's going to be fun, and this week will provide a little bit of a buffer for you to catch up on assignments and things. So we do have, I think, three Pecha Kuchas. Who still needs to do their Pecha Kucha today? Who's here? Just one? Really? Okay, so that'll be quick. Um, so we'll do that Pecha Kucha, um, and then I'll ex- uh, explain the scavenger hunt activity, and that's basically what we're going to um, spend time doing today. You're going to work in teams of three or four, and you can earn five extra credit points on your final grade if you are the winning team who does the best job with your videos today. So that's kind of cool. Um, the app shared today I'm, I'm pretty excited about, actually. Um, <laughs> you can use an iPad as an interactive whiteboard. So I'm using an app right now called Air Display, and Air Display is a... Um, $10 application. There's some other ways to do this uh, for different costs. The, one of the most, do anybody know how much a smart board can cost as far as install if you have a ballpark idea? It can cost a lot. I inaccurately wrote on my post this week $5,000 and I was like shot down by a bunch of people. Who's spending that much money? Um, it can it cost as much as $3,500. Um, the ones that have the boom that come out and then they've got the special. Um, projector that has this wide lens and um, those cost about $3,000 for at least the bid that Oklahoma City has uh, for theirs. And then the installation is about $270. If you ever have a chance to decide, you know, how it's installed, make sure it's not installed too high in your room. I've seen classrooms, the kindergarten classrooms where the teacher's short and the whiteboard's, you know, up pretty pretty high. I really think that it's a lot better to spend our money on a projector and then have a device like a tablet that we could not only use as a whiteboard, but we can also um, have, you know, for students to use and things like that. And there's so many other things that you can do here. So um, make sure for today that you check in on our attendance. Um, I have updated our schedule so that you'll be able to... um, see our resources for today and basically it's the the flip scavenger hunt and the the video that we're going to see yes there are two main companies and smart smart is just one company that the other there's several others but promethean is the other one that you'll hear about that a lot of schools will purchase and does anybody know i don't know we could look on wikipedia for when they came about i think they've been around about 10 years or so my school was like the first school in Oklahoma to do it. Uh huh. But I, di- I didn't know if they like came to be in Oklahoma or like what. No, uh, no. They uh, Smart's actually a Canadian company, and I'm not I'm not okay. sure on the history of where Promethean and Smart came. No, it's it's interesting to think about. One of the biggest important things about it is the software. And uh, week after next, we're going to do a lesson on smart boards, and you're going to um, learn and get a chance to practice them. Did anybody attend any of the workshops? I sent you emails, too, that they were doing those smart board um, workshops. Brittany, who, did, did you go to one of them? Yeah. How would you think of it? It was good. Did you, uh, if you have not like, done anything with it. Like a basic introduction to it? Yeah, you know, basically, like, they'll show you 
everything you need to like get by to do well with it. And then pretty much you, it's pretty user friendly. So if you just like explore it for a while, you figure a lot out. What you end up needing to do is spend a fair bit of time creating stuff. And one of the things to know is that there are different kinds of manipulatives. This is called the Smart Notebook software, and so when you buy a smart board by the smart company, you have access to the software. And in addition to having, okay, and this is where I think I probably can't, in this particular software, I don't think there's an easy way for me to type something in. So that, that's a limitation of this, the, this particular way of using the iPad as, as my smart board. Um, but I helped Brittany, I think who's in our 11 o'clock class, she was doing a lesson for her field experience in a 7th grade algebra class on graphing slope. And so, anyway, I'll show you more of that next week. But we found an interactive um, digital manipulative in here that would let us graph slope. And um, you can build, you basically build your lessons in here. So we'll talk more about that. But anyway, on the topic of smart board or interactive whiteboard, the software that comes with it is a you know, important feature that differentiates between the, the different options. So there's a software program that a, a um, educator who's now in California, his name's Tim Tyson, and I put this link up. He's used this app called Ink2Go, and Ink2Go is a, it's kind of expensive. It's $20. But, I mean, when you compare it to spending, you know, 500 1000 it, it depends how much you're spending. My main thing is, even when we're using the whiteboard, it's, a, it's important for us to use it in a way that invites students to participate. There's important times for us to be at the front of the class, but that shouldn't be what we do all the time. So if students can have devices, this particular software program actually lets, lets us share control. So you can see the name of my uh, iPad is Dumbledore, and if one of you had an iPad and had Air Display, I could actually transfer control to you at your desk and you could work the problem or do whatever it is you wanted to do from your desk wireless. So there are other solutions like that that allow that sort of control. It really is a big deal to be able to write. I mean, especially if we're doing, you know, math problems. I mean, it's very, it's very challenging to um, do algebra when you're typing on a keyboard. And so being able to you know, right, this is called a pogo stick. It's just a little, I think I got it for $10. Um, you have to have a special stylus with an iPad to be able to type, I mean, to be able to write on it. But anyway, very cool. Just learned how to do that in the last week. And so that is your app share for the day. So that is called Air Display. Another one I just learned about last night is called Doseri Remote. And don't be deceived. It says free. Well, not exactly. Let's see. How can I write on this with the smart board software? Since I have the smart board software up, eh, okay. there's a way. Okay, I think what I need to do, actually, is I need to have my tools up. So I'll open up my smart board tools. <coughs> and normally when I'm using the smart board on the Windows machine, you see these. There we go. Okay, so now I can be in another application. I can select a tool like this, and I should be able to 
circle things. Let me, if I can move this around, make this bigger. This is called an ink layer. My ink layer, for some reason, is a little bit big, so it's not letting me. I'll get my act together a little bit more before next time. What I wanted to do was circle that down here it says free, and even though this Doceri app is free to download to your iPad, it costs $50 to have the computer version. So you have to have something running on your computer, and then you have something on your iPad, and you connect wireless in order to, to connect the two. So anyway. Um, How do you find all these cool things? You just browse? I'm connected, so we're, we, we haven't really talked a lot about Twitter, but uh, reading the blogs of people who are other teachers who are discovering stuff like that. Um, I write stuff on my blog. That's that's how the I discovered the ink to go was uh, reading the blog of um, a former elementary principal named Tim Tyson, and so he's act on his blog. He actually posted these tutorials on YouTube. Uh, just like we've been talking about screencasts, that's what he was doing. He was teaching how to do that through a screencast. So it's by reading blogs and following other people on Twitter that are, are learning about that kind of stuff. So how many of you have been to a classroom where there's a whiteboard of some kind? Some of you? So it's one of the requirements that we have to do in, in this Technology for Teachers class is introduce you to whiteboard software and help you become aware of you know what you can do with it and how how you can do it. I will be showing you uh, not next week because we don't meet, but week after that. You know how to find lessons that other people have done, just like that slope example, right? She's going to teach you a lesson about slope. Has anybody else tried to do that with a whiteboard? Yeah, lots of people have. So if you can download a lesson that already has been created and then tweak it to meet your own needs, that can save you a lot of time. And then you know maybe you'll end up creating your own from scratch at some point, but. I'm always a fan of not reinventing the wheel if we don't have to. Okay. Any thoughts or comments about that? Questions about that? Anybody know where that, anybody see that, did your library look like that in the summertime? Yeah. That's Grant High School in Oklahoma City, so all the overhead projectors there for the summer. Probably the most common technology within our classrooms today. Okay. Um, on our lesson for today, I've got um, a link to this learning to change video, and then there's a link that says more. Um, the more link goes to a page that I created a while back called Videos for Professional Development, or PD. Um, I am obviously not showing you even half of these videos, but these are all videos that are really, really good that talk about how schools need to change, um, about Web 2.0, which is the, the Internet tools that let us create content, like Screener. Screener is an example of that. And so one of the videos that we're going to be seeing today um, is linked here, and it was created by a group called Cozen, and it's called Learning to Change, and it's talking about how in, in schools we need to be adapting to the new environment. We need to be willing to make changes uh, in the ways that we teach and the ways that we learn. Hopefully this isn't too loud. It is. I'll adjust my volume. The U.S. Department of Commerce ranked 55 industry sectors by their level of IT intensiveness. Education was ranked number 55, the lowest, below coal mining. 
For the last hundred years, we've used the industrial narrative. Schools are like factories. It's an industry process. It's about control and order. The kids are having a much more stimulating and rich environment outside of schools than they are in school. Kids are very rich content developers today through their social networking sites. They're big communicators with email, instant messaging, and text messaging. And yet all of those things are banned from their schools. We have to accept as educators that technology is not doing its choice. It has created a world. It's just not here to help you teach traditional subjects. It has invented, it has emerged from a new environment. It's about relationship, it's about community, it's about connectivity, it's about access. Children are living now in a, in a, in a different space. They're living in what I call uh, nearly now. And really now is that the space that they're texting, the space that they update their Facebook entries, the space that they um, Twitter, you know, the space that, that is not quite too much. Now, it's a really interesting space because it's not adversarial, it's not pressure. It's a space where people can do their homework, they can reflect and attract and research and, and repeat. You know, it's a very, it's a very gentle, but I tell you what, it's a great world for learning. If I could remodel the classroom today, I, I'm not sure it would be a brick and mortar classroom. So the students at the center in school is just one of the ways and places that they learn. But they also learn communities at home, in museums, in libraries, and of course online. It's about providing the best quality teachers no matter where a student lives and making those bridges. It's wandering around the city with their cell phones and collecting data that kids will be doing outside. School might be the place where you come together to do joint projects, uh, where you social network, where you do some of the other kinds of enrichment things. We've got a classroom system when we could have a community system. It's about opening the door to national resources, to the labs that are being developed online at MIT, and connecting these students to the kind of opportunities that will fundamentally shift their academic experience and make them better prepared, not only for college, but for life. You start with teachers. If I want my students to make a global connection, then I'm going to give the tools to my teachers first and provide them with opportunities to connect with other teachers around the world or other teachers around the country. The task is to give teachers where they can swap authentic ingredients and their interests so those ingredients are safe, safe and tested. Do you know that doesn't exist anywhere in the world? I've just been part of a big project that I think we have to develop a narrative that sustains 21st century learning. If we simply apply standards, if we simply have a, a steady regime of standardized testing, that will make things better. When in fact, it is economically actually a foolish idea because the jobs that these kids in school will be having do not call for this kind of right answer vending machine. They put out that they're going to phase away. It enables local creativity and innovations. They will be doing work that calls on their artistic abilities. It calls on their abilities of synthesis. It calls on their abilities of understanding context. It calls on their abilities of working with teams. It calls on their abilities, in some sense, to be more disciplinary, more lingual, more cultural. So the coin of the realm is not memorizing the facts that they're going to need to know for the rest of their life. The coin of the realm will be. You don't have to find information, you don't have to validate it, you don't have to 
synthesize it, you know how to leverage it, you know how to communicate it, you know how to collaborate with it, you know how to problem solve it. That's the new 21st century set of literacies. And it looks a lot different than the model that most of us were raised in. Now we're looking at a whole different range of schools. We're looking at schools that producing genius, calamity, gregarious, uh, brave children uh, who care about stuff like technology. And the middle schools that do that is a whole another challenge. And around the world, you know, people are testing out the ingredients of what makes that work. And those ingredients are being assembled into some just stunning recipes in different places. It's a very exciting type of death of education, but it's the dawn of learning that makes me very happy. Okay, turn to your neighbor and talk briefly about that. Maybe particularly about that last comment that he made, the death of education and the dawn of learning. What, what do you think about that? Agree, disagree, what do you think he meant? Okay, take a few minutes and talk about that. Anybody want to share out loud with the rest of us a comment that you had or that your neighbor had? Absolutely. And, you know, we think, oh, we all used to be um, oral learners, but the studies actually show it's a pretty small percent. That's the way we had to teach because we didn't have access to projectors and technology. And, I mean, we had textbooks, but we were so limited. But human beings, as a cross-section, you tend to have more people that are visual, and there's so many more neural connections between your eye and your, than, and your brain than your ear and your brain. The number I use is like... Um, Three to 4,000 neurons connect your ear to your brain, and there's like 30 to 40,000 that connect your eye to your brain. So uh, definitely visual literacy. And, you know, you hear people lamenting the loss of reading, yet actually kids are doing more reading today because of web-based reading as well as texting and things like that. may not be in Shakespearean form. What was that called? What's that meter? Remember that from Potomac? Yeah, what is that? There's something like that that means that that was how Shakespeare, you know, they're not texting in that. <coughs> but literacy overall, when you look at the NAEP scores, which are, which are like the pop tests that we give around the country, NAEP is N-A-E-P, and it's the most valid way to take a look at whether academic achieve, achievement is going up or not. NAEP scores are on the increase. IQ is on the increase. 
you know, there's a campaign right now in the whole country to discredit teachers and convince the public that schools suck and teachers do too. And we should get rid of public schools and open up the coffers to vouchers and private schools and, you know, turn us into, um, you know, bring, bring your I don't know. It's just it's a very dark day in some respects for education because we've got a very established agenda that corporations and rich people and wealthy individuals are behind to discredit schools and to paint you know, teachers as failing. Um, we're doing a really good job in our affluent schools. The test scores are really good in Deer Creek. You've seen the scores in Edmond? Doing pretty good when we're wealthy. Ooh, what happens when we look at schools of poverty? We're not doing very good. So just because we have high-stakes testing and more standards and accountability, that's not going to solve the issues of poverty. And unfortunately, we don't have a very nuanced conversation happening about that in our, in our country today. But it does give us opportunities to do new things and to, you know, present things visually. And, and I don't, you know, I, I hope that the forces that are trying to, you know, privatize education and, and almost do away with public schools as we know it and, and take care of special education students and, you know, children of poverty. I hope that that group doesn't win. But what were you saying about, yeah, the, the well, go ahead. Oh, it wasn't anything about you. I did my um, observation in a Right. And they get so much funding, but they have to spend it on specific things. And it right. seems like they could spend it on technology and things like that, and they can't. They're limited as to where they can spend it, right? A lot of times it depends on the leadership. That's called Title I funding, usually, yeah, that's yeah. for the low socioeconomic. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they can spend it on different things. It's really kind of stupid to say, oh, this is our technology plan. Oh, this is our money for technology. It needs to be for learning, right? If we're going to be about learning, let's use any tool we can that helps us learn better. And we've tended to say that's the technology. And so in some schools, and it, and it depends on the grant program and things like that, but in Midwest City, for example, in Middell schools, they funded um, an iPod Touch initiative for students out of Title I funds. And again, it's not about a technology initiative. It's about a learning initiative and how can these tools be used, you know, to help kids be able to have access to texts at home. Um, I don't know if they're doing recording on those, but a lot of times they'll record their voices and talk about fluency and their reading ability. So um, we do have... It depends on the leadership. It depends on the school district. It depends on their focus. And, so, you know, um, but administrators and principals that have a vision for learning similar to what we're, you know, hearing about in this Cozen video are pretty rare. It's pretty rare to find somebody who um, has that kind of vision. And I heard you all t talking a little bit about uh, the, the changes in schools. Was that in UConn that they're talking about? Yeah. And it is a fallacy that I've got to be young in order to do this, these things. Right? It, it, am I going to be adaptable? Am I going to learn? Do I want what's best for kids, or do I want, you know, what's easy for me? I guarantee you. I, it's I was saying, like a lot of the teachers, they are retiring out this year. The older ones that have been there for a long time, but they, it's just it's too much work for them to learn the new technology or to learn the new stuff. So they're like, yeah, I will yeah, it's, it, I mean it can't. I mean that that happens. And look, let's face it. You all probably, like I did, had teachers that had already retired by the time they were teaching your class. You know, in that particular semester, they had stopped learning. They had stopped changing. And if those people don't want to learn new things, then you know, great, go ahead and go go get a new job. Because education is learning. It is about not just 
showing you what I learned 20 years ago. It's also what I learned yesterday and what I'm continuing to learn because I'm continuing to grow as a learner. And so it's really a choice, I think, whether we want to, to do that or not. It can be more difficult when you're older um, to adapt and learn new things, but it doesn't mean you can't learn them. And, it, and really one of the biggest things is an idea of control. Am I going to insist on having control of everybody and everyone's quiet and everyone's doing what I say? Or am I going to be comfortable with technology where just like we are going to be in a few minutes, you guys are going to be going around different places, taking video, you're going to come back, I'm going to be helping groups. I mean, facilitating that kind of a learning environment is very different than just saying, okay, everyone, get out your, your pencil and paper, start taking notes, it's time for the lecture. But I think that, like, I mean, not only in, you know, our, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, I think college, there's a lot of professors that are very old school. Like, why don't they, like, bring in new, so then we understand it, so then whenever we go into the world. And we should, right? There's this one class that you have one semester for two hours to talk about technology, and actually these kinds of ideas should be all across, you know, all the, all the classes. Um, it's challenging to work with teachers of any area. Um, teachers can be the hardest students, if you've ever seen teachers work and been in a professional development setting. Um, professors are hard, too, because they have reached their terminal degree, right? They have their Ph.D. They have reached the pinnacle. And, you know, to come in and say there's more, you know, it, it can be challenging. But it really is the same thing as the K-12 teacher is, do you want to continue learning? Do you want to continue trying new things? But you're right, and this is part of the challenge we have in education is, how do we prepare you to go into the classroom of the future if the classrooms you're in are the classrooms of yesterday instead of the classrooms of the future? Right, right. All right. So I love to talk about this kind of stuff. I'm flying to Alabama uh, today to uh, work with teachers in Gadsden tomorrow and, um, you know, work on this kind of stuff. And it's I can you can kind of get depressed seeing what's happening politically with education. But at the same time, I'm telling you, the change is coming. It is here. And, you know, maybe we don't have iPads for everybody now. Of course we don't. This is a brand new device that's like a year old. How much is this going to cost in five years? this kind of capability. It's going to cost less. How silly is it going to seem to spend 70 to to $100 per textbook every five years when I can have digital content that you know gives me so much more power? And that was really my point on this post about the smart board or the, or the whiteboard is, why just buy something that's going to serve as a fancy overhead? Yeah, it, a, a smart board's nice. A projector's great. Heck, look, we have two projectors here. You know, I didn't have any projectors in my classroom when I was when I was teaching um, in the 90s, they were too expensive. And, um, you know, projectors are still expensive. But, but I, go ahead. Isn't it true that it's bad for your eyes to look at a screen too long? Well, it can be. I mean, there's all kinds of different physiological if stuff. If you all go to textbooks, I don't know, I'm very visual. And I, I like highlighting and like uh -huh. having it actually there. And whenever I'm in a, on a computer for very long, I just get headaches and stuff. Well, it depends on the screen. Um, how many of you have read it on a Kindle? Anybody have a Kindle or a Nook or something like that? You, does anybody like to do the white on black, the black on white? Reverse it. White on black instead of black on white. You can do different things to change the way that the screen looks mm -hmm. and the way that, you know, your eyes, and you can do brightness and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, okay. You have to stop me because I can keep on going with this. Um. So, let, no, it's okay. Uh, so, let's go ahead and do the Petra Future.
and then we will um, talk about scavenger hunt and we'll jump into that. this kind of thing to put web forms online used to require a much higher heat quotient and it wasn't just you know something that you could do by logging into a web browser and going to so um, now that I have updated that There is nothing undue on that. 
Defenders of Wildlife. I chose to do my presentation over Defenders of Wildlife. They're an organization that started in 1947. It's originally called Defenders of Fur Bearers, but they changed it because it sounds more like people buying fur coats and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they changed it to Defenders of Wildlife. When they started out originally, there was only one full-time employee and 1,500 people that were helping. But now they have expanded to where there is more than over 150 full-time employees and 500,000 people that support them. Um, they started out originally, they were going through and just trying to get rid of steel traps and um, poisons that people were putting out to get rid of animals, coyotes and stuff. Then they expanded to where they were trying to just protect all animals. They, of course, you know, like all organizations for protecting animals, they help endangered animals. That's one of the main fronts for most um, organizations, but they also aim to help legislation that keeps hunting and things to a limit to keep populations of animals from being dwindled down to where they also become uh, endangered animals. That's anyone that does hunting knows that in order to get a hunting tag, you have to get up there at a certain time. They only sell so many because overhunting causes population issues and then the next year you're not able to. They protect all animals, whether it's you know, deer, bear, they even try to protect little things like butterflies. They don't discriminate. <laughs> they believe in protecting all of them, whether it's big or small. They uh, go through and try and protect the environments so that you know, butterflies have places, bears have places. But in areas where environments have been completely removed, wildlife refuges have been made and they help to uh, keep those cleared out, keep those in good enough shape that animals can actually be housed there until proper uh, habitats are found for them. In areas that the habitats haven't been destroyed, they go and they clean up and try and, you know, get rid of all the pollution that they can. They, they uh, like they clean, clean water sources, they pick up litter and stuff like that. They don't care where they're going. They'll go into any kind of environment. They will, hot, cold, uh, wet, they don't, they'll go into <laughs> an event and try to do what they can. They have a, this is what they're trying to preserve. They're trying to preserve the natural environment. They try to do this because if they can't, unfortunately, you know, then, yeah, animals have nowhere to go. And this is what happens. They lose their natural environment. Once it's gone, where do they go? And, well, the, the natural environments are vanishing and animals are now going well where their natural environment was. 
which is now where we are. We have encroached on their territory that they were in and have not provided any kind of a suitable place for them to go. So they are now in our trash and causing problems. And unfortunately for them, if they get caught doing this, the first time they are tranked, tagged. The second time, they are killed. They are, it's basically seen as if they're going to keep doing it, it can be dangerous and people can get hurt, so they are removed. This is the Defenders of Wildlife headquarters. It is located in Washington, D.C. This is just one of 10 um, of their buildings. This is the actual headquarters, though. They have uh, places in Alaska, California, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Idaho, and they've even started going across international borders into Mexico. I, I couldn't help myself. It was a cute squirrel. But, um, this is Senator Dindell. The Defenders of Wildlife honored him by giving him an award for his lifetime support of wildlife and he was a leader in passing the Endangered Species Act and since the passing of that he has continued to defend it against efforts to weaken it and lower the you know, number of animals required for anything beyond the endangered species. Um, endangered species are you know, they, they you know, rhinoceros, um, things like that, that they have chose to defend. Um, they defend, uh, obviously, they try to protect seals because people um, hunt them for the, their, the coat and their fat that they use to burn for oil lamps. Uh, they try to protect the environments of penguins also, which we've had a presentation over. They protect those by trying to reduce oil spills and stuff. Now the wolves are the most one of the things that they have been defending for the longest time. They have recently won a victory where they got to reintroduce wolves into Yellowstone National Park. And that was a big deal for them because all the wolves had been pretty much annihilated.
Holly, and I'm going to teach you about scuba diving today. <clears throat> um, when I was being instructed, the uh, instructor would tell me that scuba diving is not really called scuba diving, it's called an underwater adventure, because you're actually going into another world. Um, a lot of people have fears about underwater, about being underwater, and not actually sure what they'd be going into, but I'm going to teach you how to, or I'm going to show you what all about. That's my dad and that's my sister uh, snorkeling in Hawaii. We've gone to Hawaii and Florida and uh, my dad and mom's gone to Cosmo. Is it? It would happen to me. <laughs> Okay, this is uh, this isn't the place that I was instructed, but Patty is the place that instructs you. That's where you need to go to get certified. Um, they will take you to a pool, and uh, the instructor will teach you how to do things, uh, like taking off your mask and putting it back on, and then clearing it out uh, if something happens to your uh, regulator, or if you need to use someone else's regulator, um, what happens if you run out of air. Uh, also teach you how to jump into the water. Uh, you don't just dive into the water, you don't just flop into it. You have to hold your mask and your regulator, because if you don't, then you could lose your mask and then that ruins your whole trip. Lose your regulator, then you know you lose your air. Um, this is this girl, she's taking off her mask. and. Uh, it's not, I mean, the first time's not fun, but you really get used to it because you really got to know if you lose your mask, you got to get that back on because, I mean, the only other thing you can do is just swim up. And you can't just swim up because then you could get the fins. And that's how we come to this picture. If you have to emergency, if you have to get out of the water quickly for any emergency, like you run out of air and you're not checking. You have to check your air supply. You dive up going like this. And uh, you just keep swimming up. Try to go slow. Um, if you can't, then that's okay. Um, these flags let people know where you are so boats don't go and um, boat right over you or um, just so you can be picked up too if you're on a cruise ship or whatever, or cruise uh, scuba diving. Um, that's the flag that you can see on people's bumpers and stuff. I want one. Um, this is a shark. People are really scared about sharks. Really, it's no big deal. I've swam with them. They really, they don't, they're not aggressive, really. I mean, they won't attack you if you don't, like, mess with them. And 
also I've heard if you get a knife and go if they're swing by you and you put your knife against them, and not like cutting at them or anything, they'll sense that you're not edible because it's metal. And this is sea turtles. I swam with sea turtles in um, Hawaii. It's a twenty thousand dollar fine if you touch one. Um, yeah, because they're endangered. And but that was really fun. These are starfish. I wasn't able to find starfish um, that I've seen, but this is as close as I could get. Um, in Florida, you were able if you walked in the water, you would be stepping on starfish like every single step. And you could just take them out of the water and look at them and play with them. And I mean, like people are scared of like creatures of the ocean. Like they're not scary. <laughs> You're not going to run into, like, a bear that's going to attack you or anything. Um, but there's great things that you get to see, beautiful things that you get to see. I mean, I, I want to go to uh, the Great Barrier Reef. Absolutely would be beautiful. I mean, seeing all these creatures. I've actually thought about having a wedding underwater. There's been so many of those. I mean, and just people so passionate about, you know, being being scuba divers and scuba diving underwater and enjoying the, you know, other world. You know, space is the other world, and so is water. And there's a whole bunch of unique, rare uh, creatures that we haven't yet discovered in the ocean. Um, this is a, pretty sure this is a lionfish. I just went to the aquarium, so I should know what it is, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is absolutely beautiful fish. Um, like a lot of other beautiful things. Some fun things you get to do underwater is uh, get to swim with like crocodiles or alligators or whatever. And, uh, I mean, you can't be close to scary creatures and they there's some that can attack you, but odds of that really are slim unless you're looking to do that. <laughs> That's a funny picture, I thought. I mean, uh, there's a lot of cool things that you can do. I didn't get to see any pictures, but there's contests that you get to do. That um, there's sometimes people throw like golf. In this contest, people throw like golf balls or something in the water, and you have to go find it. And the person in the group that finds the most golf balls wins something. And um, there's just a whole bunch of like different things that and activities you get to do. So it's not just exploring, discovering. You can do activities in the water. Take the whole family. I mean, my 13-year-old sister just can't wait till she gets her scuba diver's license. And it's really, it's really easy. I mean, yeah, the price is a little expensive, but you get to have that forever. Um, and then you always get to be in the water forever. Uh, this is the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, wait. No. This is the Florida Keys. This is where I went scuba diving. Um, uh, the only problem with my Florida Keys experience is that the current was so strong that the people said we have to swim back to the boat. Yeah, right, against the current. <laughs> We're like, come pick us up. <laughs> um, this is the picture I took in Hawaii. Uh, there's an eel. I saw Dory. Yeah, I couldn't find Nemo. Um, <laughs> or Marlin. Um, yeah, but there was... I, I didn't get to take very good pictures. I mean, underwater cameras aren't that great unless you want to go all out. He's smiling at me. Do you can see him? Do you guys see him? <laughs> yeah, he's a little scary, though, because I was like, oh, okay, I'm kind of making him mad. I'm going to 
scoot back a little bit. And I've had so many more pictures of Hawaii and Florida. There's a puffer fish, um, but I don't know where they are. We lost it on the whole vacation thing. Um, and I really wish I had a better camera for all of this because you can't tell. Like, the color looks dull to you. But when you're there, it's absolutely beautiful. Like, you can just look up and see the blue, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, my last slide. This is a scuba diver going okay. This lets you know that, this lets people know that you're okay. If you have your mask on your head, it means you're in distress. Um, or if you do this, this means you're okay. Or this, if you can't use the other hand. So is everyone okay with my presentation? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> activity form 
that one person in your group will fill out. Okay? Um, I will edit this form to add additional team members. I just realized that I don't have spaces for team members three and four. Uh, you need to get my permission to have more than four people in your group, and judging by how many folks are here in class, we won't, we won't need any groups with more than four. So everybody needs to be in a group, and um, you need to have, have uh, at least three people in your group. Uh, your videos that you're going to take can be no longer than 60 seconds each, okay? One minute long. Um, do not, of course, share any inappropriate videos, which you would think that would not be appropriate to share with the class. Um, in red, it says in big, be sure you ask before you record if you have their permission to share the video online on YouTube. You explain that we're doing a class project and I've got some questions to ask you, Would you? And we're going to put these on YouTube. Can I have your permission to do that? Uh, don't interview somebody who's under 18 um, unless you have their parents' permission. That's probably not going to be an issue. So prizes, we're going to have one winning team in, in each class, so one, one team here will win. Um, who does the best job, and that will be 5% bonus points on your final course grade. So, you've got two different categories. You can have a theme category, or you can do a scavenger hunt category. And actually, I, I misspoke, because you're, we're, we're going to have a prize in each category. So this is kind of a guess. You know, if only one team goes for the scavenger hunt, that team wins the eclectic race uh, category. Okay. So um, you might just kind of check around and see what people are doing. Um, if you're going to choose the, the theme, um, choose one of these, stress, Middle East politics, healthy eating, or UCO pride. Those are four different categories. And those are suggested questions that you can have. If you want to modify on that, you can. But I'm just giving you some ideas. And um, you can just go with those questions. If you uh, want to, um, you know, It'd probably be better if we didn't all print out this document. So, but if you want to, you know, copy parts of that and copy those questions and print those in the printer, that's fine to take with you. Um, the race, basically, I think there's like maybe 15 different things. Just kind of fun, asking people to do different, different kinds of things. Okay, so you can just find somebody by a trash can. If you want to interview people in your group, you can, but each person can only be in one video. Okay. Uh, that's about it, except for the video upload instructions. I'm going to put on the screen uh, the username and password that you will use to post your files. And what you're going to need to do is you're going to log in to this website, which is called Pixelpipe, and you're going to go to um, this uh, email and put in the email and password, and you're going to upload your files. If you don't have time to upload your files uh, during class today, then um, you'll need to copy them to your flash drive, and you can upload those later. But hopefully, you'll you'll have time to do that after the class. I will be sure. So all our videos are going to go on this website, which is just a free YouTube account that I set up called EDU Sandbox. Later, if you want to, you can see examples of different videos that have been done by students and by other classes and other workshops. There's 44 different videos. If you go back far enough, you'll see a bunch of stuff. From UNT from North Texas when I did this last semester. So, anybody have a question? Okay. In order to manage these these cameras, I will accept your house keys, car keys, or driver's license, or something else that's really valuable that you're not going to want to give to me. I will give you a flip camera. Only one person in your group needs to check out a flip camera. Um, and I will have a piece of paper here for you to jot down your name. And we'll write down what camera you check out. I do have to get these back from you. So basically, we've got 45 minutes. 
Um, I would encourage you to shoot at least three videos and then come back to class and work on the upload of them. Um, work with your teammates. You guys are going to learn a lot. It will be a little crazy, but that's okay. I'll help you. Any questions? Okay, what record is it? Yes. We have a question on the top one. Do we ask the person all four of those questions? You just choose. I would just ask them one question. Okay. It's up to you. If you want to go with different questions, you can. This is just to be a starting point to, you know, help you come up with some ideas. If you just want to pick one question and you're going to ask that for three people, and that's it. Or if you want to ask them different questions, um, you know, you can ask them all three questions. But I would encourage you to probably shoot at least three videos. Um, you're going to need to include, I think, on the form. Um, you're going to write a. One of you is going to write a blog post that's going to include your um, three videos that you embed. And, um, you know, if you shoot more than three, that's good, but you only have 45 minutes, so kind of weigh your time. You might shoot five and then, you know, use your best three. Okay, have a member of your group come and check out your camera when you're ready. Um, and if you're not sure how to use the flip, I'll help you, but I bet you guys will be able to figure it out. Which one do you guys want to do?